Open your Bible to James chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. May we pray together, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of being in God's house. Thank You for everyone who has come, for these fellow preachers who are here today, for all those who have joined us by radio. We pray that just now the Holy Spirit will do His work of making the Bible come alive and take its message and its word and put it in every heart. And Lord, beyond the sacred page, we seek thy love and thy word and thy presence. We ask that folks would hear from God beyond the voice of the preacher. May someone who has never been saved come to know Christ today. Comfort those who are in sorrow. Bring grace to those where there's a need. In Jesus' name, we ask all of this, trusting you and asking you to cleanse us from sin and make us an instrument that would honor Christ. Amen. In James chapter 3 and 4, there are six questions under the theme, a friend of God or a friend of the world. A friend of God or a friend of the world. And there are six questions. Let me give you the questions first and mark them in your Bible. And then we'll come back and look at God's discussion of these questions. Beginning in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? That's question number one. Question number two, chapter four, verse one. From where come wars and fightings among you? Question number three in verse four. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Look in verse 5, or rather verse 12 for the fourth question. Verse 12. Who art thou that judgest another? And the last question is in verse 14. For what is your life? Or what is your life? Well, I missed a question. Look in verse 5. I meant to get that. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that worketh in us lusteth to envy? That's the third question. There are six questions in this passage. And I hope you've marked them. And we want to look at them for just a moment or two. As we just go through the book of James. Now remember... This is not so much a sermon as it is a Bible study. During this month of January, we've been studying the book of James. And I hope you'll keep your Bible open as we just see what God is saying. Thus far, remember what, the, what we've already studied. The theme of the book of James is the perfect man. Perfect meaning mature, not necessarily sinless. Not somebody who never sins or makes a mistake, but somebody who is mature or growing toward maturity. That's what the word perfect means. And that's how James is using it. In chapter 1, he talks about the maturing man or the perfect man and his suffering. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. Most of us don't do that. We say, Lord, make me exempt from this temptation. Lord, let this trial go away from me. And that's natural 
Why, even the Lord said, Lord, if it is thy will, let this cup pass from me. No one enjoys rushing into trials. But James says that he was the half-brother of the Lord, became a converted Christian after the resurrection. He said, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse temptations. Then in chapter 2, the perfect man and his service. The mature Christian, the maturing Christian and his service. The law of love, the law of liberty, the law of life. And then in chapter 3, we began last Wednesday night. The perfect man and his tongue. Now this is where we have some problems. The maturing man and his tongue. Why the Lord said through James, we put horses in the, uh, we put bits in the horses' mouths and we put rudders on the ships. We can control huge animals and great big ships like the Titanic. But no man can tame the tongue. Now listen to me a moment. If you have an untamed tongue, you talk like the world and you act like the world and you walk like the world because that's the way the world is. One of the trademarks and earmark of a Christian is that day by day by day by day, he's asking God's Holy Spirit to tame his tongue. And if you find that those old things slip out and you say ugly words and use barnyard language and cursing just because you get mad, you reveal something about yourself. No matter what you say, no matter how many lessons you teach in Sunday school or how many sermons you preach, you reveal that the Holy Spirit does not have control of your tongue or your mind. Only the Holy Spirit can tame your tongue. Now the latter part of chapter 3, we're beginning with today, and we're dealing with that question, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Now that's the question. How do you know whether somebody's wise or not? What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Knowledge is the attainment of facts. Wisdom is the spiritual discernment to know how to use those facts. Almost anybody can get some facts. You can sit down and memorize facts. But only the Holy Spirit can give you wisdom as to how to use those facts. And the question here is not who is the sharp man, who is the knowledgeable man, but who is the wise man endued with knowledge among you? Who is the wise man? Let him show out of a good life his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthy, sensual, demonical. For where envying and strife are, there is confusion and every evil work. Now that's about all the world can ever give you. And that's the reason there's so much confusion and envying and strife and jealousies among the peoples of the world. 
and sad to say that enters into the church. And Brother James is going to deal with that when he gets to chapter 4, verse 1. He's talking about what's going on in God's people, among God's people in the church. And he says, real wisdom, real wisdom, no matter how much knowledge you have, no matter how many facts you have, real wisdom goes above the earthy, sensual, demonical, envying, strife. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. You've got some facts. Listen, you've got some facts. You don't want to have, you want to know how to deal with those facts. Get God's wisdom, and there'll be purity. I've known some young people who first learning some facts about sex have no spiritual judgment or wisdom at all, and they take all these knowledgeable facts that they've got, and they yak, 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 and laugh, 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 and make fun, and make fun, and they show, they, no matter if they're church members or not, no matter if they call themselves Christians or not, they reveal that they have no heavenly wisdom because heavenly wisdom is pure. It takes these facts that you know and deals with them in a pure way. Now, not only young people do that. Then, he says wisdom that is from above is pure, it is peaceable. It is gentle and easy to be entreated. Have you ever found somebody, found somebody that's hard to approach? You know, maybe you've offended someone. And you think, well, I'd like to go make it right with that person. And then you thought, well, they're so hard to approach, man. If I go, they just bite my tongue off. You know? Well, I, that person, if he's filled with the Holy Spirit, isn't hard to approach. He is easy to approach. Easily entreated. That's the wisdom that's from above. What about ourselves? Actually, this is not given for us to look at somebody else through some kind of microscope to see what they're like. It's to look into our own lives and see what we're like. And the Holy Spirit writing through James is saying, where is this wise man? Who is the wise man? The wise man is the one who gets his wisdom from God. He has knowledge. There's nothing wrong with going to the great universities and reading widely. I think every believer ought to read. We ought to read a book, at least a book a week. Time is a big factor, but when you're a student like at college or in high school, many times your teachers will assign a book. When we get older and we graduate from the 13th grade or the 16th grade or the 20th grade or whatever, we need to keep that up through life and read widely. We need to be knowledgeable of many things. But we always need to bring that knowledge under the Word of God. Under the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and deal with us so that we have a hankering in our heart for the wisdom that is from above, that is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy or pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by them that make peace. There is so much pretense in our world. We put on a front. I don't believe God wants us to put on a front. 
He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then let that manifest itself. Isn't it good to be around people that are they're like-minded spiritually? Don't you enjoy that? There's just a, a fellowship that you get when you're with people who are of like mind that you don't have anywhere else. A spiritual fellowship. And the reason is because of the Holy Spirit's wisdom that has been given. And when we find that we behave and act in a way that is not under the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, God grant that we would have the quickness to go and make it right and apologize and get the things straight. Now we go into the second question, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. From where come wars and fightings among you? Now, he is not writing this to Iran or to Iraq or to the United States or to Nicaragua. He's writing this to the church. He's writing this to Christians. He's saying, hey, God's people, where did all this war come from among you? Where did all these divisions come from among you? And then he gives the answer. He says, come they not here, even of your lusts that war in your members. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war that yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Now let's deal with that first, that second question. Where do these wars come from? Where does war in your home come from? Mom and dad get so mad at each other. They just fuss. Now you're wise if you go off in a room where your children can't hear you while you uh, talk discreetly about your disagreements. But so much of the time that's done right in public, right in front of everybody. And um, children grow up hearing their mother and dad scream at each other. I went to a door one day and knocked on, but just before I knocked on the door, I heard all this commotion and screaming and cussing and swearing inside the house. I wouldn't tell you where it was for anything in the world. <laughs> and I just thought, Lord, should I knock or not knock? And I went on and knocked. And there came a great peace. I saw a curtain open. <laughs> Somebody looked out, closed the curtain real fast. And you could have heard a pin drop. Now I want to tell you, Jesus heard that all the time. The person you were arguing with heard it all the time. Where does all this war come from? Now, he's not talking about getting a gun shooting somebody. I know that happens, and that's a tragedy. But he's talking about all this war in your heart. He says it comes from your lusts. And the lust he's speaking of here is not simply moral lust or sexual lust. He's talking about anything that answers to these three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And I don't know but what most of us have the hardest time with the third thing. The pride of life. Pride has a hard time saying I was wrong. Pride has a hard time admitting that somebody else knows more than we know. That really does, it doesn't. It? And James says that's where this all comes from. 
all these wars that you have, not only in your home, but in the church. These battles that you have, they come from this lust inside of you that gets offended because somebody didn't ask you about it. Dr. W.A. Criswell was here a few years ago, and uh, we had him in a revival meeting in the city out of the tent. Some of you may remember that. And he preached in some of our churches, and, and he went down to Woodburn, where he had uh, formerly been pastor. He had also been pastor at Oakland. And uh, some of you may have been in that service at Woodburn. He told the story of one of the churches, and he wouldn't tell us which one it was, uh, in this area, where... They decided to put the piano, they got a piano and they decided to put it here. And there was one group that didn't like it over here and they wanted it over here. And the other group didn't like it over there so they wanted it over here. And neither group was willing to give in. One Sunday it would be over here. And during the week somebody come along they'd move it over here. And they moved it back and forth until finally they had a business meeting over it. And a business meeting lasted three or four hours. And then he just ran back and laughed. He said, you know that church split over where to put the piano? <laughs> where do these wars come from? Well, that piano is not that important. We could be like the Church of Christ and take it outdoors. <laughs> Still have a service. But do you know people get so all uptight over little things? Man, they're going to stand there and they're going to have their way. And even if the church votes it the other way, they say, I'm going to go along. But they don't go along in their heart. They're upset. They don't like it. Take pot shots. James says, where does all this come from? He says, it comes from inside of you, from the lust for power, for possession, for position. You ask and you don't have, you ask them this, that you might consume it on your own lusts. My name's Jimmy, I'll take all you give me, God. I believe we can ask for anything in the will of God and God can give it to us. I don't think there's any sin in a child asking God for a bicycle if, if he is taught first that that bicycle must be for the glory of God. And secondly, if it isn't God's will for him to have the bicycle, he won't get mad about it. That he'll say, not my will, but thine be done. With that in mind, I believe you can ask God for an automobile, for a $5 bill, for a quarter, for whatever you need. But the best thing we can do is ask God for something that will glorify Jesus Christ. And if we ask for something that will glorify Christ, we can leave it to him. I believe God heals. I'm not sure I have time to talk about this this morning, maybe another night, another time. I believe God heals. I believe in, in faith healing. I just let you know a little secret. I've seen some faith healing and I've been the subject of it. Later on in James chapter 5, we read about the anointing of oil. I believe in that. If the person himself requests it, I don't have a right to take a bunch of oil around everywhere and every time I find somebody sick, pour some oil on them and say, I'm praying for you in the name of Jesus and so on. That isn't the way it is, and I'll discuss that when we get to that. 
But I want to tell you, God does not always heal everybody we ask for healing. God doesn't always do it the way we ask. There were a lot of us that asked for God to touch Mrs. Deacons with healing so that that leg would not have to be removed. God hurt us. I don't believe God, I don't believe God ignored that request. God hurt us. But God didn't do it our way. And I have never seen anybody more surrendered to the will of God than Mrs. Sarah Deacons in this heartbreaking thing. You ask and you have not because you want to consume it on your own lust. You must ask, not my will, but thine be done. According to thy purpose, according to thy glory, according to thy honor. Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, if it could be thy will, let this cup pass from thee. Now, there are two views of what that verse meant. Some believe that Jesus was really trying to get out of dying for our sins. I don't believe that. I believe he said, that for this cause came I forth. But the devil was doing everything he could to try to infiltrate into the mind of Jesus and into the life of Jesus. He tempted him there at the mountain, you remember, and on the pinnacle of the temple. He did, worried him all through the ministry of Jesus. The devil was always there. If the devil bothered Jesus, you think he's not going to bother you? If the Lord had to pray, Lord, deal with the devil, do you not think you would have to deal with that? do that? The Lord had to give the devil the word of God to get him to leave. Do you not think we have to do that? And in that garden experience. I believe the devil would like to have killed Jesus before the cross. And Jesus said, Lord, let that cup pass from me if it could be your will. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Total yieldedness, surrender to the Lord. Now let me give me just another minute or two. Our time's almost up. I'm not going to get through this chapter today, but let, let's look at that third question. The third question is in verse 4. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. A friend of the world or a friend to the world? Is there a difference? Listen to me carefully. Is there a difference in being a friend of the world and being a friend to the world? A friend of the world is somebody that's on buddy-buddy terms with the world and they're chums and they do things together and they walk together and they, they live together and they laugh together and they, they're cronies together. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. God says that. I didn't. But to be a friend to the world is to take the message of Jesus to the world. And the greatest friend this world could ever have is a God-filled Christian who'll go out with love in his heart and meekness in his steps and humility about him and say with tears, I care about you. I love you. I don't want you to be lost and go forever separated from God. I want you to be saved. That's a friend to the world. My beloved friend, Glendale Baptist Church must be a friend to Bowling Green, a friend to Warren County, a friend to our world. And through the giving of our money in missions and through the giving of our time and our prayers and our compassion and our love in personal visitation and soul winning, go into a world that hates God and say, hey world, God loves you and I love you.
That's being a friend to the world. Being a friend of the world, I'll have to talk about that another time, but I want to tell you that is, that hates, that's, God hates that. And there are lots of so-called Christians, church members, who are friends of the world. You act like them. You talk like them. You walk like them. You go to their amusements. You do all the things they do, filled with worldliness. And God says, I hate that. You can't be my friend and be a friend of the world. We're talking about practical Christian living. And James has a great burden in his heart to say if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Let's bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. With our hearts humble before God, let me hasten to say quickly, every head bowed and eyes closed, we are not saved by anything we could ever do. We're saved by grace. And the Lord Jesus went to the cross and bore the burden of our sins in his own body. He paid the price for your sin. My friend, you may be a church member, but not saved. If you've noticed in your life, it's easy to live like the world and talk like the world and act like the world. Check up on your salvation. Are you double positive that you've been born again? Look to Jesus. He died for us. He was buried three days later. He was raised from the grave, and he's here right now, abiding, appealing in your heart. Will you let me in? God help you to let Jesus in. And if you're already saved, would you say, Lord, please help me to serve you and honor you and live for you. Our Father, we thank thee for this time to study the Bible. Pray thou wilt help us to follow what it says, to heed its message, and hide it in our hearts and go on with God, loving you and serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. What number song? 249, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come to thee. Listen, please, carefully. God has spoken to hearts today. I believe there's someone here who has heard the Holy Spirit. Beyond the words of this preacher, you heard God speak to you. Will you let him have his way? Let him do whatever he wants to do with you. It may mean you need to come and trust him as your savior. Maybe you've already been saved, but you need to confess Christ. Let others know that Jesus is in your heart. I want to plead with you to do this on this snowy day. God will bless you. And he'll give you the courage and the strength to do it. Take an open stand for God today. It may be you need to recommit an area of your life that you've sort of taken back from God. Or you've been saved, but you've never been immersed. God wants every believer to be immersed, to show forth his death, burial, and resurrection as a symbol sermon. Do what God tells you to do while we wait. While we sing, we step out for Christ.